0: Hey
1: guys, brand new podcast, brand new podcast, and if you are getting this today, realize you have a couple days until the Two Bears live New Year's Eve event. Me and Tom Segura, freshly out of the hospital, Tom is, freshly off pills, freshly off Dilaudid, still with a broken arm and a broken leg. We'll be doing a live event New Year's Eve from Two Bears, One Cave Studio, and we got lots of treats. I got four surprises for Tom that he doesn't know about. I've got Uh, We're both wrote porns and we have table reads with friends and actors that will be doing our table reads of our porn and we will be showing them on the podcast. And obviously, obviously, on the live event, this all is our airing on the live event, on the live event, we will be viewing Tom's basketball break video when he broke his knee and his arm. And then I casually put it all back together and panicked and walked away. We will be breaking down all that video. We were, We have some surprises that we have a lot of surprises and, and you're going to love it. So go to YMA studios.com live stream to take, uh, to watch it. It's, I think it's like 10 bucks. I think, I don't know. Get your tickets. Uh, it should not crash day of, I know last time we had so many people coming in trying to buy at the last minute that the site shut down we have made precautions i know that i buy things at the last minute so to avoid that you can get your ticket now and then it gives you a thing a login i did it for jennifer nettle's uh christmas special um but check it out two bears one cave live new year's eve starting at 10 30 eastern time seven thirty west coast time going all the way to midnight la time I ran 1,000 miles this year, everybody. I am very, 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 very proud of myself. I said last January 1st at a party at my house, I said, I will run 1,000 miles this year. And I fucking did it. I did it. I have run exactly 1,000 miles. If I have my phone, I'll show you. I have run exactly. <laughs> by the way, it's a fluke that it's exactly 1,000 miles but I feel like I don't want to run again this year because I don't want to fuck it up. It just looks so pretty. The way it showed up, take a look. Let's see if this is it. Look at this. A thousand, one thousand miles exactly. I, turned, I mean, I didn't even do it on purpose. I just turned the fucking thing off, and then I looked, and it was like 1,000 across the board. Very proud of myself. Hey, but you're probably like, Bert, how much do you weigh? Same weight, same fucking weight here's the, here's the one thing I will say is, you know, we did two Dr. Drew and I did a two bears, one cave live, or what did a two bears, one cave a couple weeks ago that airs this week is aired right now. It's on, it just came out Monday. We did, I don't know. We did like a week and a half ago or whatever. And we go through my uh, test scores uh, for my blood work and we talk about everything. And and I think because and some of the numbers where Drew thought I would be higher are not that high, and I think it's because I ran so much. So I'm going to keep it up. I would like to. I would like to get Garmin. I love this Garmin watch I have. Maybe Whoop doesn't track my mileage that way. I or I do it with Whoop in a heartbeat. But I would love to have someone set a challenge for me and go after a challenge. Maybe set up a challenge with a bunch of people starting new year's day. I mean, we don't, have, that's the beauty is we don't have to start right at new year's day. Cause it's a fucking year. You just got to push it, but we'll try to figure something out, or I will definitely set up a challenge for myself. Maybe I'll go for 2000 miles next year. I will tell you my knees started hurting, hurting at the end. And I have pretty bad sciatic problems. Uh, I'm not sure a thousand miles was actually wise. Anyway, I ran a thousand miles. I ran a fucking thousand miles. Uh, that's it. That's it. Just trying to stay just trying to stay healthy in this, in this pandemic life we're living in. Uh, it's been fucking frustrating and exhausting. It's been absolutely exhausting. I have had four tests in the past, in the past two weeks. I Maybe I've had five in the past two weeks. Stay safe. Uh, stay safe out there, guys. New Year's Eve, I suggest don't go out or do something intimate with people you trust. I don't know what to tell you. Don't listen to me. Fuck Bert Kreischer. I should not tell you a goddamn thing. I will tell you: stay home, watch Two Bears One Cave live. Hey, today's podcast is a great podcast. It's with Jeff Dunham. We did it at Leanne's new podcast studio. Is we we were stuck over there. We were blocked in, and and I and Leanne had her computer, so we recorded it over there. So if it's a little different than here, the audio in here is awesome because there's so much shit in here. If it's a little tinny, I apologize. But Jeff Dunham, someone I have wanted to podcast with a long time. Reason being, you know, I'm obsessed with. There's certain things I'm obsessed with. I and it, and it changes throughout throughout the years. I was obsessed with small details for the longest time. If you know that, I'm obsessed with time travel movies. I'm obsessed with Tenant. I've watched Tenant maybe five times now. Um, I'm obsessed with certain things. And with Jeff Dunham, I um, I'm obsessed at his career tra- trajectory. So many times, the people that we notice in this business. That are successful are the people that are, um, that got cast in something and then they got put into a big movie. And I remember one time hearing Cat Williams, who I absolutely adore. I love Cat Williams. Sound weird to say I adore Cat Williams, but I love Cat Williams. He was shitting on someone and he was shitting on someone for that I'm a friend with, I'm friends with, but he was shitting on someone and I, I understood what he was saying. I, I understood what he was saying is that when you're in this business for a long time and you work at it for a long time and you don't get a lot of success, there are certain comics that you look up to who kind of did it their way or did it a different way. And those are the ones that you see. And Jeff Dunham is one of those guys. He, we talk about this on the podcast. He had massive success at a young age and and was doing the, he'll tell you the story and then it kind of went away. And then he had a, again had success and it's you know, guys like that for, especially from a guy like me. And by the way, I'm only telling you from my perspective, I'm certain there's young actors out there that are like, and I've had them on the show. Adam divine created some of the workaholics. One of my favorite shows, it's, I have said this before, but like his, he'll never know what it's like to be a journeyman comic. Someone who kind of gets overlooked by the industry and overlooked and overlooked. And, and when you are that guy, you kind of find these heroes in, in unlikely figures. And, and for me, um guys like Gene Hackman meant a lot to me, you know, that sounds crazy, but like Gene Hackman didn't find success until he was 50. And when you're 35 on the road or 40 years old on the road or 42 doing a special and you're wondering, is it ever going to happen? Then you kind of look at guys like that. I, Dane Cook said it once to me, said, what I love about this business is every day is like a lottery ticket. And you know, Dane worked really hard to get where he was. He did a lot of shit out of the box as did Jeff Dunham and Jeff Dunham. And Jeff Dunham, is just a really inspirational guy who does what he loves and 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 follows his path. He doesn't steer off the path. He doesn't do what other people are doing. He does what he does. And I fucking have so much respect for the guy. And I was really blessed to be able to talk to him for an hour. He's a really busy guy. And so I didn't want to take up too much of his time. I, w- I would like to have him into the pot when we finish the new podcast studio and this fucking COVID shit starts to slow down. I like to have him into the new podcast studio. He has a new special called Jeff Dunham's completely unrehearsed last-minute pandemic holiday special. It is streaming. It is streaming on Comedy Central. I, I've I've seen bits of it on Comedy Central's um, YouTube page, but you can find it on you can find it anywhere. At Comedy Central. You can find just type in. Jeff Dunham's completely unrehearsed last minute pandemic holiday special. And what's beautiful about this special and about a lot of the specials I've been seeing lately is because things have been changing, people are shooting it in different places and it is gorgeously shot. It is. And it's great. Leanne and I watched it first fucking three jokes. Leanne and I are laughing at and, 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 and I said, we talk about that. We talk about shooting it in a socially distant atmosphere about shooting it for a hundred people. When this is a guy that normally, normally, Performs to about ten thousand people, um, so I think you're going to enjoy this podcast. I hope I hopefully I got all the questions that you'd want to hear out of it. I'm not. I'm trying to get better. These zooms have gotten me to be a better podcast host, but I, I I'm ready to get back in person with people because I feel like conversations are so much easier when you're in person with someone. But let me tell you something. I'm because we're on Zoom, I get an opportunity to talk to Jeff Dunham for an hour. So. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let me say to be the first to wish you a happy new year. Find us at Two Bears, One Cave live at YMA Studios slash live stream for New Year's Eve. Without further ado, my guest today, stand up comedian, Jeff Dunham.
0: This is
1: Oh, God, look at your background. It's so much better than mine.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you, you know what you got with yours. Mine, you're like, what the fuck is that?
1: <laughs> that is fucking Jeff, I can't tell you. I appreciate it, man.
0: No, my pleasure. I think we have a few people in common, so it's all good.
1: We did. We, uh, You know, it's so funny. We did a show together. Uh, oh, my God, maybe now three years ago, me, you, Billy Gardell at the Irvine Improv. To do something for the wounded warriors, and they gave us these badass backpacks, and yeah. I've been, I've been wearing this, using that backpack ever since. And it's funny, they gave us our names on it: me, you, right. Billy. I think it was just me, you, and Billy, and uh and maybe may, maybe Mike Loftus. I don't, I can't remember, but I think it'd you every time I put on that goddamn backpack.
0: <laughs> yeah, those were cool. It was great. <laughs> yeah, it's. By the way, I got to say, congratulations
1: on the new special.
0: Thanks. Yeah, that was um, I. You know, like everybody just sitting around going, "What the hell am I supposed to be doing here?" And uh, I heard other guys doing other
1: stuff, and I was like, "You know, I can I can try something here. We'll see if it works." Well, where did you? Where I'm telling you, man, it, it's changed the way I look at things now. You, Colin Quinn, Sam Morrell or the three people, and one obviously Dave Chappelle, but have have gone out and shot beautiful, beautiful specials, not in theaters. And I don't know if, I don't know if, I mean, obviously we all know that theaters and for you arenas are, are ideal to place to do comedy financially, but when it comes to shooting a special, it really is kind of redefined the way we look at, I look at shooting it because it was fucking gorgeous, man.
0: Thanks. Yeah. Well, luckily I've been with a, a production company who'd done uh, <clears throat> a couple of other ones before during the pandemic is great, but for, for me, more than just that, than just the location or whatever, was that I, I didn't have any material that would have worked uh, after these, then it was eight months or seven, seven or eight months. Uh, because I looked back at my act and I thought, okay, I'm going to try this review with, you know, hundred people, socially distanced, cocktail tables, four to a table. There's enough of a, um, that's enough of a problem right there, you know, because, yeah. you know, I, I just, yeah. So, I thought, all right, we'll we'll try that. But then it's like, I look back at my act and I thought, surely, you know, after having not done a special for eight or 10 months, there's enough material there that I can do 44 minutes for the hour special, right? And I look back and literally there was one joke that I thought would be okay to use, meaning everything was so dated because it had nothing to do with life the way it is now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it was. Oh, you don't have to tell me. There's no like uh, I went to the store the other day. Everyone's like, really, were you wearing a mask? It really changes the smallest perspective of it.
0: Yeah. And so that changes. It changes everything in the in the joke and the and the conversation with the audience and your tone. And it just it's unimaginable. Uh, It it would have been, you know how it is. It would have been unimaginable if anybody had said this to us and what was going to happen to be like, no, no. So I got together with, you know, I had three folks that had been uh, writers for me for a long time. And then I, we found three other folks that were younger that had never written for me. I gave them all subject matter. And I said, uh, here are the topics. Don't write to a character. Just write jokes on these materials, on this material, on these subjects. And then I took all their jokes. And for two and a half weeks, I sat in my office for six hours a day, rewriting and cobbling together all these jokes that that would fit each character and the circumstance. I didn't want to do any politics because I'm sick of that and I don't know who's not. Um, and I didn't want it to be dated. And so then what I'm trying to get at more to me than where we were in the circumstance was the fact that I didn't try out a joke on a soul. I didn't tell any joke to my wife. That's I right, didn't tell a joke.
1: To that was the committed. part of me where I'm sitting there going, <laughs> I, I know he's telling the truth. I know he hasn't done any of these jokes. And by the way, I got nervous watching that, like on a tightrope. And then the first joke you told where I went, I actually, my wife and I looked at each other and went, oh, that's a good fucking joke was uh, that you missed the ventriloquist convention. (laughs) 70 virgins. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you
0: know, I pride myself in when somebody writes a joke, then I'll think of other jokes, you know, how it just, it, it breeds other stuff. And I wish I could say that that was mine because that was just brilliant. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that was it was great that was really great so how how does that work i have a bunch of things i, w- I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. namely you are set up for um these anything outdoor you could do, very quickly do outdoor events very quickly because you've been doing arenas now for i, I want to say 10 years is it yeah, 11 12 yeah mm-hmm. 8, 12 years and arenas have that the same vibe as those outdoor shows where it's like you trust in your material. You you know what I mean? Like, the it's not like clubs. This is the smallest venue you've you done probably in fucking 15 years. Oh, it's
0: been, yeah, it's been, I haven't done a hundred people in, in, I, I I don't know, I don't know when. I mean, that, when, the last time I had a hundred people was, what was it, the Ice House on a bad night, maybe? You know yeah. what I mean? I, I don't know when that was. So that was back in the 90s. So, but you know what? There's a little bit of a difference because, in the arenas, we set them up proscenium. So it's not, a, it's not, you know, it's not an oval. We do it. We, we cut off part of the oval. So it's, okay. a, so it's, and the audience is right there. We put them on the floor and then they're all up, up like that as well. So I don't, it's not as difficult as being outdoors. I, I, I'll do fairs and fairs are great with a big giant audience, but there's still more of an intimacy in an arena. But I got to tell you, um, you know, I thought this is going to be a real downshift for me, a jerky downshift for the bad clutch going from 10,000 people to a hundred people. How's that going to work? But I've been sitting around, I've been just like everybody been sitting around my house for so long that to finally have that release of even a hundred people laughing was amazing. And I'll tell you the moment that I knew it was time to go do something else. I'm sitting at my kitchen table with my wife and we have five-year-old twin boys. And I'm just sitting there and I put, picked up a chip clip and started making it talk. And my boys were on the floor. They thought I was the genius. They were laughing their heads off. And I'm like, I got to get out of here. I got to get the hell out.
1: <laughs> that is so, oh, that's, I, didn't, I wouldn't even think about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's time to go do a show. But, you know, I got to say, though, the, it, my point, though, was it was such a delight having that intimacy of, even though it was outside, they made it intimate and people were close enough. Okay. Oh, yeah. And I, I realized every once in a while I go back and I'll do uh, a club or not a club, but a, a theater. I haven't done a club in so long. I'm all actually scared of clubs now, but um, I haven't done a theater. And every once in a while I'll do one. And it's like, I forgot how fun that is because you get that immediate reaction from the crowd. Yeah, And it is almost like you say, it is almost like I'm going to trust the material. I'm going to do it. Uh, in the arena situation, but it, it's—I'm uh, telling you—it's you—you you would f- find it not that much different than doing
1: a, a theater show. Well, it's—you know—it's interesting, and, and uh, I hope this comes out. I, I say things that I sometimes don't sound like compliments, but I mean them that way. I know I know comics would hear it as, as compliments, but audience members sometimes might hear it weird you were the guy that um, that all us comics looked at and said, there's a chance. Like, because you you had been, you had had a pop and then you went back to the clubs and That's- hustled at the clubs. And you were the guy that, that club owners would say, club managers, I remember guys at the Funny Bone would say, I had Jeff Dunham in here five years ago for $1,000. And the idea that you had a pop, took it back down, and then blew up level you're at, which I would argue, and I think you don't have to say anything, but maybe five comics, ten comics ever in the world have had careers like you ever, ever, you know, with, with the the venues you're doing. But it's it's that journey for me is something that I could connect with from, from a comedian standpoint. I have a hard time um, connecting with kids who... Um, get discovered at 16 and then blow up in their directing movies. And then I feel like I always feel like there's a disconnect from for me. And I, I'm not shitting on guys like that. I've made jokes about Kevin Hart with him saying like hard work, hard work, hard work. I'm like, we're all fucking working hard. We're all working hard. The stories that connect with me are yours. And, and I'm curious about that journey because it, it was fun to hear it gave you hope. It's almost like when you hear people, this is a bad analogy and I'm sorry that we put so much on comedy and you're going to hear this and go, oh, shut the fuck up. When you hear of someone getting COVID and not dying and not getting that sick, you're like, oh, so, okay, so there's, or getting an illness and going, oh, they didn't, like when you had that explosion and then, and then all the clubbers were like, I just had him in here two years ago for $1,000 and now he's playing the goddamn Civic Center. It gave us something, us regular comics to go, hey man, it, it can happen.
0: Right. right. Yeah. It, you know, my my journey was uh, a little bit interesting because I moved out to Los Angeles in 88 and I'd already been doing shows for uh, for a long, long time. I'd already been, you know, I, I started when I was a little kid, but I'd been doing Kiwanis clubs and boys Cub Scout banquets and and um, church shows and all that. So I knew performing. And so when I moved out to L.A., I knew my act. I knew how to work an audience. So it wasn't like I had to learn that from the ground up. So in 88, uh, I was booked on The Tonight Show within a year and a half. I was actually booked within three months, but there's a whole nother story. Um, uh, right before, literally the night before I was supposed to tape, Jim McCauley came back out and saw me at the, the Comedy Magic Club. And he said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. You're just not ready. And of course, that's after I bought the thousand dollar suit and phoned everybody. I was in TV <laughs> guide and the whole bit. And literally the night before my, you know, my, when I graduated from high school, my ten-year goal, before I came back from my reunion in nineteen ninety, because I graduated in eighty, was to have been on the Tonight Show with Carson, and that's all I focused on for yeah. a decade, doing every show, everything, and working my act. And uh, so, in in eighty-eight, in the winter of eighty-eight, you know, December of eighty-eight, I was booked to be on the Tonight Show, so I made it by a you know year and a half, and then. You know, he had seen me on a good night and then he saw me on a bad night the night before. And then he said, you're not ready. And the one sentence that he gave me that I use for everything, he said, when it comes to being on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, it's better to be five years late than one day early. So so it was like, Uh wow. I
1: fucking love hearing that. I love (laughs) hearing that.
0: Yeah. So that really gave me inspiration. And I auditioned for him nine times before he finally said, "Okay," And that was over a period of years. So. But so after that, in 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 90, when I was on, I had a nice surge that went from pretty good comedy club to great comedy clubs to theaters. And in 92, 93, I was doing big theaters and it was great. And I stayed up there, stayed up there. And then things started to wane. And I was at the tippy top of the I was doing theaters, but then it went down back down to comedy clubs. But I was at the top of the comedy clubs, hitting the glass ceiling, couldn't get any further you know, Seinfeld and, uh, uh, a couple other guys that I had been kind of, you know, n- never equal with Seinfeld, but at least he'd been doing, you know, he did a couple of HBO specials and that was it. Those guys took off and, uh, uh, I was still playing the damn clubs and I couldn't get any further. And finally, nobody would give me a special, nobody would do it. And I was like, and then the comedy business, the comedy club business, started to wane. Numbers started to go down a little bit. All what, the year is what,
1: what year is this? How old are you? Do you have kids? Are you married? I need to know. See, these are all the things us comics go. This is like this is our Bible. You know, you hear stories like this, and you go, "Okay, yeah, yeah. all right, I, I'm, 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 on, I'm on the right track."
0: No, I, I, things have started going up. I got management, and uh, you know, top of the comedy clubs for years. And so this was until about two thousand three, two thousand four. I was on the Best Damn Sports Show, period, uh, and, and things were great, and then that's when things started to wane a little bit, because all the stand-up shows had gone away, and I was getting no television. I, I could barely get on with Leno every once in a while, um, uh, and that was, that, was, that was about it. So, yes, I'd gotten married. We had three daughters. We bought a big giant house in a really nice part of town in an exclusive gated community. They were going to private schools. We bought the big cars. So, you know, anybody coming up, be it a musician, a sports figure, comic, any the trouble is you think that the money you're making now is the same money you're going to be making in three years or five years. And how many times do you hear that story where they go, it's like physics, whatever goes up fast comes down fast. And just like a bottle rocket. And not that I'd gotten there fast, but I'd gotten there big. And I thought that money was going to continue. But the career started to wane and started to go down. And I got to the point where that thinking of, I'm going to have to sell this house. We're going to have to downsize. I guess it's going to be OK that I'm going to be doing comedy clubs and, and uh, corporate stuff the rest of my life because I've, I've, I guess I've done it. I was on The Tonight Show and that was my goal. And now it's been great. And that was it, but nobody would give me a special. And I saw some of these guys on comedy central and I'd get the little tiny ones, you know, with the, what were they called? Uh, comedy central presents. And they have like three comics on there. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. I and, never got and one. Yeah. I, I never got one. And that was like, I was, I was, I hung my career. Like give me a presents, give me a presents. And it's funny, the things that mean so much to a certain point, then you go, ah, I guess then whatever.
0: Yeah. But you do, you get there, and it's great. And I'll tell you one, well, let me digress a little bit. After my first time on this night show, I was single, living by myself. And after it aired on the East Coast, I'm sitting there, and one of my buddies, longtime friend of mine, called me. He was in Philadelphia, and he called me. He goes, so that was great. I'm like, uh, thanks, because it had aired out there. And he goes, now I know what you're doing. I go, what? He goes, you're sitting alone right now with nothing going on. And I said, dude, you're right. And I didn't know, nobody, I was not one of those comics. I was not one of the, I didn't know you're supposed to go to the improv and celebrate and, you know, watch it with, I didn't know that. I didn't have any friends in the business. And so I was sitting in my room, all, I was renting from some friends. I had one room. I was sitting there alone in my room and it aired on the East Coast. And I've gotten a bunch of phone calls on my answer machine. And then that was it. And I was sitting there all along, going, "Yeah, I was on top of the world a few hours ago. That was amazing. And now I, I got nothing. Got nothing. This is a lonely life, man. So, um, but anyway. So back to that. Yeah. So things were going great, and nobody was giving me a special. So uh, with uh, Judy and Company, uh, I decided to finance a special myself. We we sh- 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 shot it in uh, uh, God dang it, not La Habra. Um, I forgot. Anyway, um, and I financed the whole thing myself. And back then in 2005, it cost me 120,000 bucks, something like that. And uh, so they said, here it is in the can. And now let's go try and sell it. They could not sell that damn thing. And they went to Comedy Central and basically begged them to show it. And, Com- you know, Comedy Central said, you know, he's not our brand, but I'll tell you what. And they did that horse trading thing. They said, give us that guy and we'll air done him and they said okay and i don't know what other comedian it was but they gave
1: them him or her and they said well, well now i'm trying to rack my brain going i know that client list around that time like, God, you know you know i get a <laughs> call from judy and go it was uh, it was it was jim brewer <laughs> <laughs> well
0: that's the story that i was told and uh, uh, they said well air at one time and they aired it one time. I think it was on a Friday night or whatever. So we shot it in 05. They aired it in 06, I think is right. It took nine months to get it out of the camp. To get it, to get. they wouldn't, oh, Elevity wouldn't even edit it until we'd sold it. And so we. they finally talked Comedy Central into it. Had to beg them. They aired it one time. Uh, we called for ratings on Monday and they said, uh, we think there's been some kind of a stake. We'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> But Bert, you know what it was? It was just that grassroots of having done those shows for so many. It's like Leno did it. Having to do all those shows all over the country for so many years, just getting that grassroots following. And they came to the plate and uh, uh, we, we went to the plate and they were out there for us. So um, uh, and and that's when it all kind of began and they begged for the second one right away. And then we did the second one and that had Occupy the Dead Terrorist and then things just kind of.
1: Took off after that. It really, it, it was. I will tell you that I was at, uh, I was over at the same management company around the same time, and watching your career uh, explode was. It's it's you know I think this it's I think any comic listening right now knows it's so important to hear these stories because those are the ones that are realer. But there's only a bunch of kids from Harvard that get writing jobs on SNL. Most of us aren't doing that. Most of us are going to pound it out at the clubs, hope that, hope that, you know, I remember Ralphie May one time said, guys like me and you better hope for a snowstorm. I said, what? And he goes, we can put on good specials, but unless that snowstorm shows up, no one's staying home to watch it.
0: Oh, that's really funny. <laughs>
1: and, and that's I, really I, funny. Yeah, but uh, those little things. And, and I remember you, I remember talking with people when, when you're, you're, because you your business acumen, the way you looked at the business, the way you assessed the business was different than most people. You were the first guy I know to send out reward baskets for, like, I think you call them Uber fans or whatever. Like, you'd send out stuff and go, Hey, man, I'm, I'm glad you're on my team. And I remember hearing that going like, going like on a fan side, going, Oh, man, if I got some. I just talked to Nikki fucking Glazer today about it. And she was like, I figure you do this and you do a good deed, and then maybe they'll remember you down the line. And I'm like, Jeff Dunham was doing this fucking literally 16 years ago.
0: Well, you know what? The the big deal, though, was the mailing list. And um, uh, I would do what was called the Dear Walter cards. And I came up with this. I was sitting at the Tempe Improv. And I said, wouldn't it be great if there was some kind of Dear Abby thing with Walter, my cranky old commercial guy, where people ask him questions? And I remember sitting at dinner with the manager at the time of the club. And I said, let's make up some forms where... It's it's dear Walter questions, and then uh, let's put on the bottom of the form where people can fill out their mailing address. And this was all snail mail back then. They fill it out, and then they hand them in, and then I'll keep the addresses, and I'll get a mailing list, and we'll get the questions. So we started doing that, and this email, I mean this this mailing address thing became huge, huge. And then, but it was expensive. Oh no, we do it. We of course whenever we go back to that region. Uh, we had that whatever program back then where you could pick out X number of zip codes and just send the postcards to those that zip code. But then email started to be a thing. And this was in the middle 90s. And uh, Robert Hartman, other manager, a good friend of mine, he was like, you're wasting too much money sending out the postcards. Email doesn't cost anything. I'm like, I don't know this email thing, whatever. But then we added an email address onto the snail mail. And we always promised the patrons we would never sell their addresses for anything other than, you know. Use them only for my stuff. And so that really amassed a big following. And it was, uh, that, was a, that was a fun, a fun way to, to handle it.
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Holy shit. If you love cereal the way I love cereal in the middle of the day and I've had to cut it out because it's too sugary or it's got too many carbs or you feel gluttonous, but you didn't seem gluttonous when you were a kid. When you're a kid, you could just sit there. And it was like, almost like zoning out. You turn the box around and slowly eat and you enjoy. It was like, it was like almost like meditation. Well, guess what guys, Magic Spoon has you covered. It's the best part of, it's the best cereal I've had. Sugary or not sugary. This is zero sugar, zero gram or 11 grams of protein, only three net grams of carbs in each serving. And they've got four flavors. Leanne is obsessed with the fruity one. Isla loves the cocoa one. Bro, I will tell you right now, they've also have frosted, but blueberry is next level. I've been guzzling down blueberry. They sent us four boxes. Leanne and I tore through coconut or the fruity and blueberry immediately. Isla worked her way through cocoa just with her hands. We got another four boxes. They're sitting out there, and one, the blueberry is already open. It is amazing. I'm not even fucking around. It is. You cannot tell the difference. You can't tell that it's healthy. You cannot tell that it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. It just is good fucking cereal. It really is. Check it out. Go to magicspoon.com slash Burt to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use my promo code BERT at checkout for free shipping. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, and they should be because I would back this as well. It is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. Crap, send it to my house. I'll fucking eat it. It really is that good. I have never, I haven't been able to enjoy cereal like this probably since college. Probably since college. That's magicspoon.com slash Burt and use the promo code bert for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Hymns. Listen, if you haven't heard me talking about him, then you're not listening. Or maybe you're one of those 34% of Americans who have a full head of hair. You know, that 66% of men start losing their hair by the age of 35. And once you notice that it started thinning, it can be too late. When I was 22 years old, I was in the ATO fraternity sitting on the couch. Jeff Hartley stood behind me and he looked at the back of my head and he said, bro, you're losing your hair. And I freaked out. I panicked. I went, this is back when you could go buy gas station remedies or snake oil pills. And then someone directed me to a doctor and I had to sit into a wall, long, awkward line at a doctor's office and then go to a pharmacy. This is when you had to go to a pharmacy and deal with all that bullshit. I didn't want to deal with any of that. HIMSS is one-stop shopping. For hims.com is one-stop shopping for hair loss, skincare, sexual wellness, all for men. And it was founded by a guy that knows men. A guy who said most conversations for men when it comes to medical crap and like sexual wellness or hair loss, they're better to have online than in person. They'd rather just get online and get their answers. And that's what's beautiful. Hims is helping guys be the best version of themselves with licensed medical providers and FDA approved products to help you treat hair loss. No more awkward in-person doctor visits or long pharmacy lines. For himss connects you with a licensed medical professional online, which is going to save you hours. Completely confidential and discreet. All you got to do is answer a few quick questions. They're going to review it. And if they determine it's right for you, they can prescribe you the medication that treat your hair loss. And is shipped directly and discreetly to your door. Today, Hymns is giving you their best offer yet. If you're not happy, happy, if you're not happy, if you're not a bunny, if you're not hop, happy with your results after 90 days, Hymns will give you a full refund. And right now, my listeners can get their first visit absolutely for free. Go to forhyms.com/slash That's forhyms.com slash birthcast. Disclaimer: prescription product requires an online consultation with a healthcare provider. Who will determine if a prescription is appropriate? Restrictions apply. Please, 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 please see your website for full details and important safety information. Remember, that's forhims.com slash birdcast. What was the perspective like when you climbed back up on top of the mountain? What was it? Was there humility attached? Was there, was there confidence attached? Like the, to be up doing theaters, one of the handful of comics doing theaters, back to clubs and then back up to a level that at that time and people i think it needs to be put into perspective for the just the average passerby maybe i mean you'd be better equipped to tell me but maybe at the time zero people doing arenas as comics when you were doing arenas and then when you were when you were when you were at your top I mean, we're talking private jets to europe we're talking there's not dane cook was there you were there Maybe Kings of Comedy, maybe uh, Red Redneck Comedy Tour, but but what was it like to go back on top of the mountain? I'm curious what perspective you. Well,
0: what from. drove me was competition, and red whenever red, I'd hear, "Oh my God," it would drive me crazy. I'm like, "They got how much? What? How many people?" <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> and I would just, I would just get pissed off. i like, "No, we can do better than that." So uh, yeah, it was always, I was always, always, it's it's a disease. It's a horrible disease. I don't play board games. I don't play games. I am a horrible, horrible loser. Can't, can't do it. So it comes up from, this comes from being an only child too. My parents made the the, the the awful mistake of always letting me win a game as a kid. They, they always, and it's like, it's, it's the worst thing you can do as a child for, to a child. Um, Cause my boys right now, it's like, Nope, you lost. Sorry, dude. Maybe next <laughs> time <laughs> you got to teach them how to take that, you know, and not drive yourself too crazy. Um, but then again, was it, who was it? What great coach was it? Said, show me a loser, show me a, a good loser and I'll show you a loser. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, where was
1: I heading with this? Uh, that's, sorry. What were we talking second about? Second arrival to the top of the mountain. Were, oh, you, yeah. were, were you more confident? Were you more calm? Were you more, or were you like this time I'm doing things differently? Like, I'm curious because, you know, Jeff, you really have a career that n- is unparalleled to anyone. You're a grassroots guy who's always done it grassroots. Like you're one of the more fascinating comics out there, without a doubt. Well, thanks. Well, uh, you know,
0: I I I always have that self doubt, and I think that's a good thing. I always oh, in it. Yeah, I still sometimes wake up and go, "I'm fooling everybody." Let's <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> So I, I do, you know, that and I think that's a healthy thing because, you know, like you talked about the guys that are 16 years old and they get something, they become whatever I, I do. I am a firm believer in that, that whatever goes up fast, come down fast. I, I also like the analogy that the biggest, most powerful airplanes take the longest runways, the biggest, heaviest planes. They take the longest time to get up in the air. And, uh, um, I think it's kind of the same thing. Um, you know, some of these guys that win the contest and they're immediately they get shows in, in Vegas and whatever, they don't have the chops because they haven't been through. Um, they haven't been through the pain of, of, of not succeeding. And, you know, there's nothing better for a comic that's coming up than to fail miserably. And for the number of times that I've failed miserably and really wanted to crawl into a hole and die. Um, those are some of those, those times that are the best uh, for a comedian because if you have the right stuff in you, it doesn't discourage you. It, it, it disappoints you at the time and then it makes you angry and you want to come back and do better. And uh, I, I, and that competitive thing in me, I think is what has, what it's, what's driven me for a long time, but also um, uh, I, I do enjoy it. You know, there's that. I, I always used to say money is always second. The minute you start doing it for the money, then you're going to start to fail. And uh, I still try and abide by that. You know, like this special, everybody's saying, oh, you're going to make X amount of money. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Stop talking about the damn money. I have to tell my accountant that too. It's like, you're going to make this and this. No, 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 no. Is it going to be funny? Are people going to enjoy it? Are, is it going to make them want to come back to my uh, live shows? And I'll go back to the other one. Is it funny? Because if it's not funny and it's not going to entertain my audience plus a bunch of new people, then we're not going to do this. And I don't care how much money they throw on my face. So like right now, Comedy Central wants me to do another one. And I'm like scratching my head going, okay, when is the best time to do this? And I don't care that I'm not making any money right now because that's shooting yourself in the foot if it's not a good product.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. What did, uh, what that it's interesting I, I, you talked i love the analogy you said about flying i know you're into flying correct
0: yep well it used to be got kids now
1: <laughs> oh oh cuz uh bill burr is a big is one of my good friends and he's a big helicopter guy yeah and well
0: i you know i built i built my own and uh, uh you know <laughs> yeah. i i it's like i had my i flew for years and years and for almost 30 years i flew and went through my the number of experiences that you don't want to go through. And I had one old pilot tell me once after I came back from, you know, flying when I never should have flown in, whether I shouldn't have flown in. And I landed and he goes, you know, every pilot is given X amount of luck. You have just used up a good portion of yours. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I I miss it, but I don't miss it because every time I would go fly. And again, these are home built helicopters. And uh, I would take other people flying with me and all that, but I just I miss it. But at the same time, I don't miss the stress of wondering if I'm going to come back or not.
1: How does a home built helicopter work? Do they send you the pieces?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a kit. Uh, this company's been in business for decades since the '70s, and it's a kit. It's a fully licensed uh, uh, as a kit, so it's all been approved and all that. But you're the final inspector. You're the one getting your butt up in the air. <laughs> Look at so, that. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I was in college when I started it. I almost failed my senior year because I got the helicopter kit my, the last semester of my senior year and I didn't pay any attention to finals. All I wanted to do was build that damn helicopter and I almost failed.
1: <laughs> so does that, does that, you you are a, a collector and like anyone who's into ventriloquism, it's almost like you got, you've got you got a pass to any Comic-Con, any, any like collectors, anything neat and kind of uh, gitchy you guys are into. When did that start? Why did that start? Like, how did that, how did I miss, like, I, I was into ventriloquism when I was a kid. I'm, I'm, I forget the first one I saw, and I was like, oh, that's fucking badass. But what do you think was the the, the switch that clicked in you that goes, oh, this is Well,
0: um, I don't know. Again, being an only child, I, I there was no one there to tell me that what I was doing was lame. Um and uh, and I, no, I by the way
1: i would pay hardcore dollars for both my daughters to transition from their interests now into ventriloquism <laughs> how old are they <laughs> fucking 14 and 16 and i'm oh. losing my goddamn mind
0: that's great yeah my my daughters are now 22 24 and 28 oh
1: god
0: and uh yeah those were those years that you're talking about were fun years <laughs> So I, I, you know, I, I don't know what it was. I, the interesting, I view that what I do is not, I don't view it as a variety act because I, I know that it technically is, but I, I view what I do as a more fun form of stand-up comedy, because it's a, it's a team. And every element of comedy that you have in a sitcom, I can have, there can be conflict, there can be tension, and uh discussion. So I can set myself up and I can talk about things that we really can't talk about anymore without getting into huge trouble because I can I can I can debate both sides of the argument. And I like that every once in a while if there's a topic that you're not supposed to talk about, I can take one side, the dummy can take the other. And hopefully if I do it right, people are going to walk out of there going, I really don't know what his view on that is.
1: So um because people have kind of, and I'm sure you get this. I know I've definitely gotten it because of the type of fan that is attracted to your comedy. People then label your comedy. It's kind of, Oh, so you must be uh, a conservative Republican comic. And I'm like, listen, man, I, I don't ever tell you my politics. I, I know that I perform well in the middle of the country, but I think that's because I'm a beer drinking, rip your shirt off kind of a guy. And that's those in the middle of the country. I'm not a craft beer uh, artisanal ice cream, handmade shoe kind of dude. So I apologize. Right. I don't have jokes about that shit.
0: Right. And, and you sell big time tickets and, and people on the coast go, yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I couldn't move a ticket in Brooklyn, but fucking, <laughs> put me into, put me into fucking the, into the city and all Long Island's coming out. <laughs> oh,
0: that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. And there you have it. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, and, and, and again, back to your question, what clicked in my head? I don't I don't know. I just, I saw Dummy in a Toy Store and I got it for Christmas and started doing the shows. And Like I said, it was the early, early, uh, you know, Cups of God banquets and all that stuff. And, and then it just kept growing. But it wasn't until that I got into college and had come out to LA a few times when most of the other, you know, college students were going to, you know, to the football games and drink on the weekends. I was flying out to LA to, you know, try my hand at. The Comedy Magic Club mainly, Mike Lacey was really the one that got me started out here. Um, And uh, I realized after following some big names uh, on that stage that if I was going to have any kind of career with a length to it, that I was going to have to not do the ventriloquist tricks because I was doing the thing. I did it in my last special because I hadn't done it in so long and I'd never done it on TV that except for The Tonight Show. But I did the drinking bit and made the dummy talk and all the voices and stuff. And that's a fun ventriloquist trick. But there's no way that you could keep coming back to the same city over and over doing little – it's like a juggler. A juggler is never going to have a, a huge uh, career going to the same cities and touring over and over and over again because how many – I mean, he could, but man, that would take a lot of creativity, you know? So for me, I realized it's all gonna have to be the spoken word. It's all gonna have to be jokes. It's gonna have to be situational stuff. It's gonna have to be stories with the characters. Everything that stand up comedy is in dialogue form. And that's why I think my career has gone beyond the 15 minutes anybody ever expected it to, is because people keep coming back for the dummies and the conversation and and the relationships and the jokes. They're not coming back to
1: see a guy that's. Sort of not moving his lips. No, you said that. You said that casually. You've said two things where I was like, "Shit!" I never really saw that. Number one, you said to to work with writers, and I and it's so funny because I know big comics, the biggest, some of the biggest comics in the country, who have writers who travel with writers, and then if it's brought up, they pretend it never happened, and they and they're like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Right. And and then you've embraced. You know, I do have guys write for me, but. I realize now when you're saying this, and, and maybe it's a short sight on guys like me, but with the different characters you're presenting, almost like a brand new movie every time you do a special, like a legit sitcom. Different characters, different conversations, different. I mean, it's got to be a lot more complicated than maybe say a Bill Burr or a Dave Chappelle who take uh, transgender issues and then just what's their spin on that? They're not no slight on either of them. Obviously, we all agree they're the greatest. But I'm saying it's a very different, different approach to comedy.
0: Well, yeah, and that's why I, when I tell the writers, I say just write joke jokes. Don't write, just write stand-up jokes. Do what you do. Don't do try and do what I do. Do what you yeah. do. Write those jokes, and then I'll take those jokes and I'll turn them into dialogue and twist them to fit yes, whatever character. And if I'm a good writer, uh, um, I will take a, be able to take a joke and do the setup and whatever the punchline is. Hopefully. I will have a different punchline for every character according to whatever their characters are. And I love it when a when a writer gives me a bunch of great jokes, and by the time I'm finished with them, you don't recognize them. He wouldn't recognize them.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> because I've twisted them enough uh, to make them fit whatever dummy's gonna be telling those jokes. And then I've put my my piece into it. I I don't think there was, I think there was maybe three or four jokes in this last comedy special. That I that I literally said verbatim what was on the paper and the, and the one joke that you, that you said about the uh, uh, that Ahmed doesn't like uh, what was Ahmed doesn't like going to the ventriloquist convention because he's used to seeing because there's 600 people there. He's used to seeing 72 virgins at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And I thought and I did. I said it on stage. I'm never going to be asked back. I thought all oh, the ventriloquists are going to hate me now but maybe some of them won't get it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is a great joke. How, 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 um, how clicky is the ventriloquist scene?
0: I have come to the conclusion that no, what are, no matter what interest you have in life, that's a hobby or a sport or whatever it is. There's a core group of people that are so serious about it that it makes you embarrassed that you're part of that group. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that makes no fucking sense. god damn, that is that is stand-up comedy to a T, and that is, that applies to everything.
0: Yeah, applies it, it to applies T. to stamp collecting, everything. <laughs> so you know, I've been going to that thing for every year since 1975, and there, are, you know, most of my friends, uh, I'll tell you this: the guys that are and the women that are the most normal are the ones that do it for a full-time living. Believe it or not, and that's like six people right? The rest of them just do it as a hobby. They do it for their churches and a lot of lovely, lovely folks. But there are some people there that just take it so seriously that you're just shut up. They won't call a dummy a dummy. It's a ventriloquist figure. No, it's a dummy, you idiot. So, um, yeah, I don't take what I do seriously. It's a lovely art form. It's great. Uh, And it's been around for centuries. But, you know, you got to I look at my own bird. I look at my own Eight by ten, my own headshot. And I go, really? There's a grown man grown man sitting with five dolls. And he's making them all look at the camera and we're all smiling as if it's all normal. It's it's not.
1: <laughs> it's it's I'm pretending I'm playing house. <laughs> That's okay. I I watched I I watched a video. I was flipping through Netflix yet the other night, and one of my specials was on the front page. And they had done some animation to it. And I just was with my daughters, and I clicked it. And I was like, wow. And I, all of a sudden, my daughter, Isla, goes, forever you'll be with your shirt off. Forever. Like, you, forever. People are, like, if you, if a hundred years ago someone finds this, they go, why is his shirt? That's the first thing they're going to say. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, God damn it. But it's true. It's I love that for whatever you're into, there are people that make you embarrassed to be into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh,
0: you know, my, my friend, uh, Kelly Asbury, uh, he he unfortunately passed away a few months ago, but he was uh, one of the directors on Shrek 2. He did Romeo and Juliet, a uh, bunch of really great animated movies. But he said it's the same thing with animators. And because that. he's so... Uh, was so big, you know, they wanted him to come to all the animation conventions and all that. And he said it was the same. And he would come to the ventriloquist convention uh, every once in a while, just for fun. It was like, because we were, you know, we liked it. But uh, he would say the same thing, that it's just like some of the animation people are just too damn serious. And it's usually the big guys, the important guys that go, oh, my gosh, I can't be here. This is too
1: nuts. When I, oh, it's like that with comic, comedy. And it's so funny. I think every comic go, goes through that phase where you take it, so you're so precious about it. And then you get to a part where you're like, oh, my God, like there are people that like go, don't go into my comment sections. Holy shit. They're fucking insane. You are good friends. I, 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 let me rephrase that. I, I was rumored that your friends with a friend of mine. And when I say friend, I use it very loosely because I'm not sure she's my. she loves me to death. But Caitlyn Jenner, you. Hey, yeah, yeah golf partners with her right yeah
0: yeah w- yeah we were we were uh, uh friends doing common things uh uh when she was bruce <laughs> and um i think some of those interests of hers have now gone away flying radio control helicopters and all that but yeah yeah kaitlyn's yeah, caitlin's great and and what's funny is it's the same person and it's just you know people ask me is it weird now and you want to go oh no no it's not weird I, you know what i i i i have so much respect for Caitlin, uh, for doing that. But it, it, as, 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 as a guy, another guy who was buddy buddies with Bruce, now it's like, I I'm, I'm doing my very, very best, but it's, it's still a little, you know, it's, it's all me. It's all my problem. (laughs) So it's just like, I, I, you know, I want to go, how many times have I seen Caitlyn and gone, "Hey man, oh damn it, sorry,
1: sorry"? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I, I was, I was, I, I told Rogan about this, and he's like, "You god, I can't believe you spent the day with Caitlin. You got write a bit about it, and it was such an interesting bit, but it was such, it's such uneasy territory because there's no, there's no uh, malice involved, but, right. but what I noticed, and and what I'm sure you've noticed is, um. Whenever you talked about sports with Caitlin, she would, for lack of better terms, kind of bro out with you a little bit. Like right. she, she was loved talking about the Olympics and about training. and And my dad got on the phone with her, and my dad was talking about uh, uh, fiberglass pole vaults versus steel pole vaults. And I mean, it was wow. really fucking fascinating. And then I almost hit her with an axe, and <laughs> I almost literally fucking killed her with an axe, and. And it was it was a hilarious story. And I was like, you know what, man? I'm gonna wait until all the fucking rain settles and that everyone's cool. And maybe it's a story you could tell in like five years where you get into detail and you and everyone's comfortable, but it is kind of tricky. But you but like I said, you're a guy that's always danced on been able because of what you do to literally dance on on both sides of that line. Like you said, another ventriloquist who was by the way, not even remotely close to what you do when it comes straight up offensive was Otto and George. Otto and George are great. Oh my, my god, god, they were awesome. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw Otto, Otto and George, and I was like, "Shut up!" And but you're right. It was that George was saying the most horrific thing you could ever imagine saying, calling them cunts in the audience. He was, he was South Park in real life, and yeah.
0: it, was, it, was, it was just amazing. And I remember the first time I saw him or heard him, I was at a different point in my life, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. And then as life moved on, and I got a little jaded, I'm like, this guy's freaking genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, some of those things that he said that George said, it was like, I don't even know how you think that stuff up.
1: Oh my god! I mean, some of the stuff now—it's like I remember. I remember I was uh, good friends with a, with a comedian named Jay Moore at the time, and uh, and he took me downstairs to like his like little screening room. He was like almost like we were watching a porno. He goes, "You want to see something really fucking crazy?" And I was like, "What?" And he turned it on, and we—I want to say we were high. I don't remember, but I—we were. I was crying fucking laughing going yeah this is
0: yeah and and to take comedians and get comedians to laugh like that that's a special thing
1: yeah and you know it's 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 it is it is a very special thing but my favorite my favorite story and I don't know if this is true or not but I someone I partied with one time told me that uh they were all doing coke and Otto was like uh pretty fucked up and he was like hey you mind if I go get George real quick and <laughs> So he comes back with George, and Otto has not been saying a word. George just goes, can you believe this fucking guy? Not to speak ill of the dead, but uh, I know that there's people that probably are related to him and love him and are like him, and I don't love the story. But us comics, I love the good comic stories, and I hope people share them about me when I'm dead. Fuck. This podcast is brought to you by Mercari. Listen, if you're like me, we're getting ready to move, and I have a ton of extra stuff in my closet, stuff that hasn't even been used. We've got an extra coffee maker, yoga mat, I've got shoes that I've never even touched and it's time to start the year clean and free. That's why you, you can, you, you can use Macari. Halston's girlfriend's using Macari, the marketplace app that gives makes it easier for you to give my unused items a new life and get rid of them. The simple way to say goodbye by selling your stuff to someone who actually wants it. And a buyer can say, hello. And then you make money. Halston, what's, what's Brooklyn doing? She would go to this store that had dollar items on Wednesdays and she would buy a bunch of stuff that was awesome for a dollar and she would resell it on Macari made a couple hundred bucks. It Dude, cool. it's so simple. Very, Just download Macari, take your item, take a few pics of it, add a description and boom, the item is on its way to being sold and there's no meetups involved when you sell. You just box it up and Macari will email you a shipping label. Shopping on Macari also saves you money. You'll find particularly new items at up to 70% off with no in-person meetups, which is the safest way to buy and sell, especially these days, especially anytime. Macari simple and makes sure you your used things don't go unused. Sell them instead. And instead of letting them sit around your house, look at this man cave. It is full of stuff that Macari could just, I, there's a killing to be made. And when we move out of here, bro. I'm throwing it all on Mercari. With over 50 million app downloads, your items actually sell on Mercari. Your stuff could be exactly what someone's looking for. So turn your goodbye into their hello on Mercari. Start buying and selling when you download today from the App Store or at Mercari.com. That is M-E-R-C-A-R-I. Mercari, your marketplace. So what? What? When do you think touring will go back to normal? And when will it for you? Because your touring is fairly specific.
0: My my next door neighbor, uh, we live in a cul-de-sac, and we were out in the you know cul-de-sac here a few months ago. And he goes, he said it very succinctly. He goes, he was just sitting there, and he doesn't know much about me, but he he learned a little bit. And he goes, finally he goes, oh yeah, you're going to be one of the last guys to get back to work, aren't you? I'm like, oh <laughs> damn it, yes, you're <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't, I I don't, I, I have no idea. I mean, I, I, here, I'll i tell you the truth, Bert. When I walked off stage in March, so the first weekend in March, I think was my last show. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was March 9th or something. I, I turned to my crew. You know, we got, I got 12 guys on crew and, you know, we got two semis and two tour buses. And this, so it's a, it's a mini rock and roll kind of operation. And I turned to them, and I've been listening to the news and all the stats on on viruses and all that. And I go, you guys, I don't think we're going to be back to doing this until Christmas of, of 22. And they're like, Oh, that's crazy. And I go, Nope, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be that long. of uh, 21. I'm sorry. Christmas of 21. Sorry. Um, I I, like, I say it's going to be, I'm going to be my pants, like, yeah, uh, it's going to be, I thought I, th- I said, it's going to be a good year and a half before we get back to that. Now, They've come up with the vaccine way sooner than anybody ever expected, so that's great. But then you hear about the super, you know, the mutant versions of of COVID now. Um, so I I really don't know. I you know when are people going to be comfortable sitting with large groups of people? And I don't know when is big when is big sporting events going to come back? When are theaters going to come back? Movie theaters? I don't know. And is it going to be an altered version of that? I think we're all going to get back to normal at some point and we'll be shaking hands and hugging again. I really think that because other people say that's gone forever. No, it's not.
1: No, not yet. No.
0: Um, You know what? I I did an episode of uh, Last Man Standing last week and it was just it was great. But one of the actors and I won't say which at the end of it came up. It wasn't Tim came up and said, I want to shake your hand and say this has been just great. And I'm like, "Okay." And you know what? It was awesome. Yeah. I hadn't shaken anyone's hand in nine months and it was a, a stranger, you know, somebody didn't know. And it was, there, there was a, a warmth there that it was like, man, this, this simple action has been gone for so long and it's been part of our society for, well, I don't know how many decades, uh, centuries, whatever. So I, you got to think we're going to get back to that. I, I we have to, and, and people say theaters are going away. No, they're not. No. I think people are going to, they want to get out. You want to go on the date. You want to get away from the, the, the kids. I, I, it's not going to go away. Yeah. But when you ask, I, I'm still going to stick with what I said. I'm going to, I'm saying it's going to be a year from now that to be in a big arena and doing a show like I used to do, I think that's when it's going to be.
1: What, what, just how complicated is your, because you do have, this is, and you don't have to answer this. I don't know what things you're not allowed to say or you can say, but like, how complicated is it into going to build uh, a, a character a, 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 a puppet? How complicated is it that build? How many do you have and how do you tour with them? What is the handling protocol? like I'm curious and you don't I don't know if that's you're not allowed to answer. no, no, no
0: secret. No I just I, I'll just think up something that what 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 is it in society? what do what will a large number of people laugh at? What can I what character can I think like? And be able to, because that's a big key, is to be able to-
1: (laughs) I would just have a black guy and a Mexican and say all the shit I want to say. Let me tell you something. You know know
0: what uh, is funny about that is, uh, Jose Jalapeno, my Mexican guy, people have gone, oh my gosh, you gotta stop using him. Guess who says that? Self-righteous white guys. Uh, Hispanic people love Jose, and I don't do anything disparaging. He's a stinking jalapeno on a stick. That's what we joke about. He's a jalapeno on a stick. That's all we joke about. But I did uh, uh, one time trying to make fun of prejudice. I created a character called Sweet Daddy D, who's a a black character that was my manager. And I wanted to make fun of prejudice. I wanted to flip it around. I wanted him to tell white jokes. I wanted to be disparaging to me just just because I wanted to be able to do that. And I got with a couple of black comics and I said, come on, I know you guys sit around and make jokes about white people. Tell me some of your best ones. And I don't think I got really true answers or any good material. <laughs> but that's one of the two characters that did not work for me because I could not think like a black person. You cannot, I said this before, you can't walk in their shoes unless you've walked in their shoes. And uh, when I say there, I mean somebody other than yourself. Yeah. And you can't become a person if you really haven't lived that life. And actors, great actors, you know, you become those people, but it takes a lot of research. And that's what I think I am. I'm an actor, uh, you know, acting through the dummies. And I, I was able to repeat the lines and imitate uh, what I thought it should be. But then when it came to the ad lib situation or writing my own material, it was impossible. Because I, don't, I haven't lived, lived the, the life of being a, a person of color and have to live through that, what, what, they, what they go through. Uh, and, uh, so there's, and then the other example of that is I created a female character. Uh, I was in a movie called Dinner for Schmucks, and I was one of the schmucks, shocking. And as a schmuck, I had built my own dummy in the movie who was I really thought was my wife. We did all the legal stuff, and I was able to use her in my act. She only lasted about three months for the same reason that Sweet Daddy D didn't work. I have never been a woman. I don't know how women think. I have three daughters. I have an ex-wife, a mother, aunts. But for the life of me, if you had asked me a question, I would go, I have no idea what a woman's answer to this question would be, just like I didn't know what a black person's answer to that question would be. So, so those are the two characters that didn't work because I don't have either one of those in me. However, a dead terrorist, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I understand getting angry and you want to blow something up. I get that.
1: <laughs> Who makes do do you have to go to a company to make the No no,
0: I, I build all the dummies myself. I I make them. So you make- uh yeah, yeah I, I build them all myself. And to get back to your question, so what I do is I find something, that a character that I think will work well in society and whatever we're going through. And so through the pandemic, I did some YouTube videos of building a character online. We even got people to name him, had a contest. But he's basically a millennial who's stuck on his phone and lives in his parents' basement, and he doesn't care about anything else. And uh, the, the naming contest was awesome. Some guy came up with the name Earl, but it's spelled U-R-L. That's great. Yeah. And he's never, he hasn't seen the light of day yet on stage, but I I think in this next special, and again, it's going to be another Comedy Central one. And I don't know when. It could be April. It could be August. I don't know when. But whenever it is, he's gotta, he's gotta see the stage and we gotta do some some jokes for this guy. I keep thinking there's gotta be something. I keep thinking, I wonder if there's a character who's in charge of uh figuring out who gets the, the vaccine first.
1: Oh yeah. By the way, or
0: second. We we know who's first. It's all the first responders and the old people, but who's gonna get his second and third? And, and he's gotta be the guy that tell people, yeah, you're next or you're not next.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. I didn't so how did you I guess you have to have to learn yourself how to build the the puppets yourself.
0: Yeah, it was all out of, you know, necessity is the mother. And uh, I was in college and I had other guys building dummies for me. You know, a couple of guys, get them custom made and they were never what you want. They take forever and they're really expensive. So I just started teaching myself. And and, uh, yeah, so necessity is the mother of invention. And I just learned how to do it. Is it like the guitar Do you just pick it up and fuck around every now and
1: then? Or is it is it No,
0: there's sculpting because you have to sculpt the face or chisel it out. I chose to sculpt them and you got to learn sculpting. And then you have to learn how to take that clay head and how to make a mold and then you make the positive, whatever material you use there, and then you have to install all the mechanics, and then you have to paint them. So there's a bunch of skill sets there, and that's why they're prohibitively expensive to anybody who's doing that for a living, because it's a it's a boatload of work.
1: Yeah, is. how many how many Walters do you have? Well,
0: there was the original Walter that I built when I was in college and he was a little bit smaller, but I was on the best damn sports show and those guys, you know, uh were huge, some of the athletes that were on there and Walter would be sitting there and you look at this tiny little guy. So I thought I'm going to make him a little bit bigger. So I actually made him like 12% bigger, which was perfect size. So there's really only two real Walters, the tiny original one and the one I've used since uh 04, I guess. But then there was one I did for a Hertz commercial in 96 and uh, he's in a museum now, but there's really only two Walters. There's one Ahmed. There's a stunt Ahmed that was made out of rubber that we run over him with a tank and that kind of thing every once in a while. But there's one Ahmed, there's two Bubba J's, a stunt Bubba J and a regular Bubba J. Um, and who am I missing there? Peanut. There's a handful of peanuts. Cause he's a Muppet instead of a hard character.
1: Wow. That's fucking fascinating. Now what, yeah,
0: because if the house burns down, screw the kids; they can get out themselves. I got to go find the dummies.
1: <laughs> how old how old were your boys before you introduced them? Have you introduced them to the to to the gang?
0: Yeah, you know we haven't done it in a while. But when they were really little, when they were like two, we would do videos introducing them to the the characters, like do Facebook Live and that kind of thing. And they were. Just cute as heck. And now I think they'd probably grab, you know, grab one's hair and run away with it or poke him in the eye or bash him over the head with something. So <laughs> we haven't done that in a while. But you know what's funny? When my daughters were little, I heard this story about my youngest daughter. She went to the next door neighbor's house and she was probably like three or four years old. She's walking around and she looks at her friend. She goes, Where are your daddy's dummies?
1: <laughs> so, you know. Like, what's it like being a second time dad?
0: Uh, you know, some of your questions that, that you asked me earlier about the career coming along second time, I actually apply more to being the dad. Really? It's, it's interesting now because I can sit back and enjoy it more and appreciate it more. And I can stop myself from working and go, you know what? I really don't need to be doing this right now. I can come back to this when they're asleep. I want to go be in the other room with them and, and play. Cause that childhood, as you know, lasts that long.
1: Yes. And by the way, I kind of hope I have a second family because I really fucked this one up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's perfect.
1: <laughs> I like, I, you know, I feel I really identify with what you're saying because I I was saying to someone about reading a book and I said to my oldest daughter, I could never really enjoy reading books to you because I always thought I should be working. I'm not doing anything to get you things you need in life. Like I'm not, I'm uh, afford your school or afford, like I really felt guilty and i couldn't i just i really just busted my fucking ass their whole childhood and then when things started to get good it was at the time where they were they and you know girls could because of you had them they want their own independence yeah. and, uh, and and sometimes they think you're not cool and they don't want to be around you and they really want distance I, the joke i said i told gwen stefani this little name drop there but i called <laughs> stefani I said, yeah, me and my daughter, my daughter doesn't want anything to do with me. And it sucks because I love her to death. I go, it's like living with, it's like living with an ex-girlfriend and you're still in the same apartment. And she's like, oh, fuck this guy again in the kitchen. What the fuck? Yep. So, well, you know
0: what? I, I used to pride myself in saying that uh, I never missed a big, big event. I never missed a birthday. I never missed a holiday. That was the luxury of being at the top of the the food chain in the, in the, the comedy clubs because I could at least pick my, pick my times to work. Oh. And that was great. But then as, the, as, as time went on, I realized what I did miss were the times that weren't the big times, just sitting around doing nothing. Just, you know, those are the times that
1: they remember the most. Yeah. I never missed a birthday, never missed a recital. I always got home for that. But like, I, you know what, what it bums me out is I didn't, I didn't coach her softball team. I didn't, right. Just wasn't, I, don't, I never had, I'd see dads that did that and be like... I remember looking at this one dad. His name's Bert. He's a really great dad. And he's, he's Oddly enough, his name's Bert. He was just a great fucking dad. He was the dad that was always in whatever uniform his kid was supposed to be wearing. He still had the shirt on. Like, he never changed. <laughs> I remember thinking, what the fuck do you do that makes you so comfortable with the idea that it's all going to work out? Like, that you go, like, why aren't you behind a fucking desk? Like, what... Like, I... I can, I, to this day, to this day, literally today, I, I, I'm trying to take some time off. I'm trying to be socially distant. I'm trying to slow things down. And today I just felt like a fucking loser. I'm like, nothing's going on in your career. What the fuck are you doing? You got to write something. You got to, you got to work on something. You got to make something. You got to create something. You got to, and like all of a sudden then I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, like this is probably a sickness. Like. I need to just slow it down. And so I came over with my dogs to, we're trying to build a new house. I came over, that's why I'm over here. And I was like, I'm going to go look at the trees and make sure the trees are set up the way I like them. And I'm fucking, I'm losing my mind. Should build it. Yeah. No, you know what? I, I
0: think that, 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 that thing of, uh, I grew up that way thinking uh, those, you know, when I graduated from high school, it was like every single day, it was like, what am I doing today to forward my career? And that carried on through my first marriage. It's like, what am I, have I done anything today? It would be hobbies. Anything that I was doing had to have something to do to help me forward my career. Even the radio control helicopters, because I knew learning the mechanisms, I would learn how to do the insides of the dummies better. So just, just those kinds of little things. And then I think it's a, it's a happy medium. It's a balance that everybody has to figure out of, okay, I, I, it is a sickness, but it's a drive that makes you succeed. But at the same time, just like women, when they try and balance being a mother and have a career, we have to do the same thing as dads, where it's like, uh, if you're the breadwinner, you got to do that. You got to push. You got to be better at what you're doing than anybody else. But something's got to give and and you you have to make that time. And for me, it was just giving up a lot of my hobbies.
1: God, I don't even have any hobbies. My hobbies are writing. I literally talked in therapy one time, and he was like, what's your hobbies? And I was like, uh, stand-up. And he goes, well, no, other than stand-up, I go, writing jokes. He goes, no, other than that, I said, making videos. He goes, no, no, that's still your work. I said, a podcast? And he goes, no. I was like, I don't have any fucking hobbies. I, I wish I had. I wish I had something to give up other than alcohol. That's been my main hobby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that counts.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: you, know what, you know what's funny, though, is sometimes... When I would go work on something else, be it something mechanical or be building something, and I would totally push everything away for a day or two when I wasn't working, those were that was really healthy time because somehow your brain starts working on other stuff and you stop thinking about your work, but your whatever other part of your brain is working on it, and when you come back to it, that creativity suddenly flows and is better. I mean, some of the best stuff I ever did... Was when I was building those helicopters, and I would be in the, in in and working on that for hours, sixteen-hour days, just you know, when I didn't have a family, building these, this thing, and then a, a week later, I'd sit down and go, "I know what I could do. Yeah, I'll do that in the act. That'll be great." And you know what I mean? It's like writing that that hit on a napkin in a in a uh, in a restaurant. You know, I, that's how that that's how that muse happens. I
1: think I was I was trying to. uh, Take up leather, leather working, working with leather and making leather goods. Right. Within my first fanny pack, I started going, I could sell these as merch. (laughs) I got to find something easy. I can bang out quick. I'll do multiples. I'll do wallets, just credit card holders. I'll bang them out, stamp them, stamp them with a bird. And then I could, you know, and I'm like, fucking Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. (laughs) The truth, Jeff. I appreciate you giving me any time. The fact that I got you for an hour is a, a huge privilege. I am a massive fan both of what you do on stage, the way you run your business, and like I said, man, you have been a channel marker for me in my career as as for a lot of us. Just the fact that you have persevered and 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 had that long flight in the big plane that's still cruising. I mean.
0: Well, Bert, I appreciate it. And I, same here. And so it's it's an honor to be here. And thank you for asking me. So uh, it, it's it's great. And I, and I do like the wallpaper. I don't care what anyone says.
1: It's my wife's. We we're building a new <laughs> podcast studio. And they're eating Mexican food in mine. So I, this is my wife's backdrop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, great. Well, I really appreciate it. So thanks for having me. And I hope uh, hope this one does
1: well for you. Hey, thank you so much, Jeff. Stay safe and right. have a good year. Thanks, man.